Hi, I'm Alex Mustard, and I'm here with Ian and Gemma from the Big Scuba podcast, Off Gassing. And welcome back to the Big Scuba. This is Ian, and also with me is... Gemma, hello. Well done. A uh, small satellite delay there coming through to <laughs> like from Pakefield. all the way from Pakefield over there. Yeah. So uh, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 48. My word only seems like, what, five minutes since the last episode. We're banging through them. I know, um, we're heading to half a century. I know. And, you know, we are now going to have our great guest, uh, Alex Mustard, back with us, uh, MBE to talk to us about the final chat about underwater photography and so Mm. on. But we'll come to that in a short while. A little bit of news, Gem. You've got some news to talk to us about a whale shark that needs rescue. And also we need to talk about a little bit more about Alex and also talk to our lovely listeners about the bat phone that we've got (laughs) and all. Uh, a little shout out to some people who've made contact with us this week, which is always yeah. great. We do love some contact. That's brilliant. So um, let's talk news. Jim, yeah. what's going on on the news desk? Well, it just kind of relates back to a previous episode, episode 20, when we talked to the Galapagos whale shark guys. Yeah. So a whale shark has been rescued in the Arabian Gulf. All right, brilliant. So it's six metres long and it got trapped in a man-made lagoon um, on the island of Abu Dhabi. So it had to be rescued. Wow. So it had, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it was for all fine. So it just had to get um, towed out. I think it got towed out about 12 miles into open water. But they obviously had to keep stopping to check that its vital signs were all good. And um, it was described as a first of its kind capture and release effort for Abu, Abu Dhabi. So the uh, guys that got involved were, you know, from the uh, National Aquarium and the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi. So, yeah. yeah, so it's a story with a good outcome. And the whale sharks are an occasional visitor to Abu Dhabi with female and juveniles being spotted inshore in late September. Yeah, I suppose they suck up. Yeah. Brilliant. So really yeah, but good. it just shows obviously Abu Dhabi they get whale sharks, and then we've spoken to Galapagos and they see the whale sharks. So they certainly do. They and certainly and, get uh, around. If you haven't listened to episode twenty yet, dial back, go and uh, download that one. It's a really good one, and uh, the guys there were telling us about how they don't know where some of them go. They're they're found, haven't they, from tagging mm. and sampling that. The DNA shows that they think they're they're pregnant, and then they disappear. Yeah. And then they come back, and they've got uh, a baby with them. And um, but I think it's really good that you know there's parts of these these waters and also the animals that we don't understand. There is yes. still these mysteries. We don't humans don't know at all yet. Thank there's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of unknown. Yeah, and. Uh, it's good to be inquisitive, but it's um, it's good that we don't know like yeah. that. Yeah, but We've yeah, just looking at the news in general on the scuba and underwater front, there's you know quite a lot of positive news out there. There is, yeah, we like we like positive news, um, so that's really good. Um, so hello to Frank, Lizzie, and Scott. Hello, uh, they wrote in this week to well give us some really good feedback and also uh, possible guests as well. Yes, which should be really good. So thanks for that, Frank. Particularly, um, you know, uh, if you want to make contact, Jim, how can people make contact with the show? Well, there's the usual channels. There's email and there's our social media channels. So we've got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and obviously you can make comments on YouTube. We've got a new addition to the team. Oh, pray tell. What is that new way? We've got a bat phone. I know. How cool is that? We've We've got got a bat phone. We've got a number. (laughs) And it and it actually glows red when when somebody if somebody calls, we're not just this what you know, we aren't just making this up. When it when somebody actually (laughs) phones, you know, it glows red. But 
it's just a mystery at the moment because we're waiting for our first our first call yeah so, so listeners we want that first call first call met well first message we need so we yeah. want to check this phone actually does actually glow red and <laughs> does its thing so the number you need because i know you're all up we're waiting for that number was is even and also you know if you are listening to us from outside it's still free, it's still free it's toll free it's not going to cost nothing as long as you're using your wi-fi you can send us a message and let us know where you're diving or what you got coming up something exciting and maybe you just want to give somebody a shout out to say hey i'm going diving with them next week and this is where we're going so that would be really good use or use us use and we'll we'll give you a little shout out and i'll give you a little you know all adds to the course variety. of yeah. variety and the cause of diving yeah so maybe what you... whatsapp is an, another option you can call text message but whatsapp is like the way to go really it certainly is so the number you need for leave sending us a message is plus 44 7810005924 that number again is plus 44 7810005924 and who's going to be the first person and let us know yes. uh, where you're going diving. Yeah. And that first person will get their message out on our next podcast or a channel. Down. Yeah. That'd be really good. That'd be really yeah. good to hear. And uh, maybe you're, maybe you're not diving. Maybe you're going out on a, you've got a kayaking trip. Maybe you've got a, a paddleboarding trip and you're doing something, going somewhere really fun. Let us know. Cause we aren't always just about scuba diving. You know, sometimes we're out on the kayaks as well. So give us a shout out and uh, we'll, we'll, men we'll mention it. Okay, so there we go. Uh, also want to mention uh, bikes, of all things. Uh, so E-bike. Yeah, we partnered up with another company and we are selling these bikes. And they're brilliant. They are really good. And um, I couldn't believe the difference. I I'm spoiled from <laughs> having an, uh, a standard bike. Yeah. How, well, you know, how good is that? When you start pedaling, you suddenly get this turbo boost that whoosh, whoosh you along. Yeah, it took you by surprise, didn't it? <laughs> it certainly did. And uh, yeah, uh, um, yeah, I'm sold on it. I think they're brilliant. So if you are interested in these bikes and they, are, uh, they have been up on our social media and uh, they are really, really good and you're thinking about Christmas, getting... Maybe when you, you know, getting your partner a present as a bike, or maybe one of your children. You know, these are really good bikes. Uh, very well made, and um, yeah, they're just brilliant. Contact us. We have a code that can save you some money on this, on one of these bikes. Okay, so I think that kind of rounds things up. Yep. Let's talk about uh, Dr. Alex Mustard, who's back with us. And he's going to be talking about the Blue O2 competition. He's going to be talking about his underwater photography. Yes. And he's also going to be telling us about <laughs> Stinky the dolphin. His experience with the dolphin, quite close up. Yes, yes. He's got a, he's got a fan in, in a form <laughs> of a dolphin. They got very amorous with him. So uh, apparently and it's actually on YouTube as well. Yep. Yep, Stinky the Dolphin. <laughs> Stinky the Dolphin, so look out for that. So, I think that's it from, from us, I think, for this one. Yes, yep. So, Alex Mustard, yeah, talks about everything underwater photography. He answers our big questions at the end, which are quite good fun. Yeah, they certainly are. And uh, so, this will be the second part to our conversation with Alex. Yeah, episode 48, part two, Alex Mustard, MBE. Enjoy. I've never lost myself without you Anxiety around me But should I So do you only take stills? Did, did you ever get into uh, taking video work? You know? Mm. Uh, you no, I, I'm just a stills photographer. 
Um, I, you know, have huge respect for sort of my, my colleagues and, and peers who do the filming, certainly, you know, those who film for the BBC and the other big production companies down in, in Bristol. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, we have sort of quite an open dialogue in that when, you know, one of the big natural history series is doing its research phase, I'll get plenty of calls from the cameramen and from the researchers, um, camera, camera men and women and the researchers um, wanting to, to sort of talk about destinations. Is this subject easy to get there? And, 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 and so forth. So I like that interaction I have with them. But no, I'm very much just do stills. I think the two disciplines are quite different. As I was saying earlier, we talked about rebreathers. Even, even almost the way you dive is different mm. as a stills and video photography film, um, film person. And also, I think the way you approach your shooting. The, the, the video person needs to shoot sequences. They often need to be a better diver because they need to be super stable in the water for longer. But in terms of the technical interaction with the camera equipment, it's probably a little bit less. It's a little bit more be there and capture amazing scenes. Whereas a stills photographer, you can create amazing still photos from maybe more mundane subject matter by being clever with your technique and your vision. So I, I really like the stills photography side of it. But it's, it's not easy to cross over because the, um, although the basic skills are the same, it's a whole new set of equipment and it's a whole new approach to diving and thinking about your images. Yeah. We've been using um, a Paralens camera. Mm, they're really great. They, they provided us with one to you. And that's been brilliant. You know, we've both tried it. Yeah, yeah. you know, strap onto the side of your mask and you can just set it. It all comes on automatically. You can dive. And for us at our level, uh, you know, and you know, you can just go in and dive, enjoy the dive and look at what it records at the end of it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, as you, if you, you know, for, for those who are more serious about their photography, they're great to mount on top of your camera, still camera as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, for me, my interest would be, you know, doing it to, if I did do filming, I'd want to do it to a high level and, and use all the mega expensive gear and, mm. and get the absolute best quality out of it. Um, and so, although, I, you know, Apparelens would be fantastic, they, they, are, they are genius in their tiny little shape, I mean, what they do. And it's by far for me the best camera for filming underwater, um, for, for that action camera type type approach. But I, I've got enough to keep me busy with my stills, so yeah, it's, it's not for me. Yeah, so obviously Blue OT ran this amazing competition. Mm -hmm. so how did you find judging that? And I, I really enjoy, enjoyed it, Gemma, because I, I judged lots of different photography competitions during the year, and this one Blue OT had a really um, specific goal for it which was to celebrate diving yeah. and, and, and the diving experience, both in underwater pictures and topside pictures. So typically when I judge a photo competition, it's, it's all about, you know, what's the best photograph? You know, you know an amazing subject, um, you know, very good technique um, and, and, and all that, that, those things, you know, the visual appeal of the image. The aim of this competition was, was, was to get beautiful pictures. And I think you can see from the cover, I've got one here as well. You can see from the cover of it, you know, all those pictures are eye-catching images, but it was also about the diving experience and things that struck with me as a diver, things I loved. So I love some of the top side pictures of, you know, this picture here of yes. the guy doing a selfie in the water yeah. and his friend mucking about. We've all been that guy and we've all been that guy as well. <laughs> and I, I love that aspect of it. I love some of the travel pictures as well, reminding me of, of those amazing experiences. And yeah. I think diving can take you to some of the most phenomenal places around the world. You know, cruising through Galapagos Islands or, or visiting parts of Asia that, you know, really don't see much tourism apart from divers. Um, you know, there's, there's fantastic experiences all around the diving world. So I love judging the competition because it was great for me to wear a slightly different hat mm. and to be a little bit more of a diver. And it was a great competition to judge this year because I've probably missed diving and dive travel more than ever. Yeah. So bringing back those memories, you know, it, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I think it's, it's really struck a chord with a lot of the people because it does catch those memories. Now I'm going to yeah, try well, to announce the winner's name. I think Gemma's actually set me up for this. <laughs> um, so the winner was Mizuki Agawa. Mm. I hope I've got that name right. Uh, the Hammerheads. Now that is an awesome photo. photo. Um, you can quite see that. Yeah, I think it just really takes you there. And anyone who's who's dived in Galapagos knows that, you know, the places that the hammerheads come in the biggest numbers is usually where the current is incredibly fierce. 
and the advice from the local dive guides and the, who are the, who are um, marine park um, wardens for the area is go down and grab onto the the volcanic rocks that are on the seabed there. If you try and hook on with a hook, you will be buffeted away in the current. Um, you know the line can get tangled and everything. So get low and stay down. Also by staying down you prevent less of a vision to the hammerheads. And if the whole group does that and stays low, the hammerhead school will come in really close. If people are floating up in the water column, they're much bigger targets and the hammerheads tend to stay away. So it really transports me onto those dives. And the current is incredibly fierce. You, you literally jump from the dive boat, go straight down to the seabed, hold onto the seabed for 40 minutes, and then up you pop and, and, and whiz off again. Um, and that, that, no, that's what a lot of the Galap amazing Galapagos dives are. But what comes past you in that 40 minutes that you're down there is just incredible. Yeah. And it's not just hammerheads, it, you know, it's turtles, it's rays, it's, you know, we know dolphins, it's, it's everything in Galapagos. And yeah. um, that put me straight there. You know, I, I called that picture the white knuckle ride because you can see his, his glove. And you're actually told to wear gloves there because the rocks often have old barnacle shells on. They can rip you up. So you're told to wear gloves and to hold on with your hands, um, not to hook on because the hooks break. Or, and also you're up in the water column. You've so, got one hand yeah. on the rock and you're taking the picture with the other. Come yeah, and, and your camera's being pulled by the current. And actually, often, if we know we're going to get strong currents on the workshops I do there, we actually will uh, you know, say, to, I'll say to people, consider going down without your flash guns on, have a nice small camera rig, because if you've got a great big camera, you're not going to be lifted up into the current. But it, it depends. I've, I've dived other dives on those same sites where there's no current at all, and you can just, you know, I'm just like, I, you look at the reef go, I've held onto that rock over there for my life <laughs> five times before, and now I'm just swimming around. Because um, the big ocean currents there, they can deflect and Eddie can spin the other way and suddenly you just get a little bit of lee. And it's, it, but it's an incredible place. Yeah. Galapagos is, I think, the most intense diving experience in nature that you can have. Just the richness of those seas. Um, you, know, it's, you know, sometimes the visibility is mixed, but whatever, however far you can see, you'll be seeing loads and loads of big marine life. Blue the two have now gone back there now. Yeah, it's all yeah, the trips are running. I've got friends going there. Um, from the states, because um, obviously you've got underwater photography friends from all over. Yeah. And yeah, email from a friend last week going, "Oh, can I have some advice? I'm going to Galapagos next week." I'm like, "I'm locked down in the UK. <laughs> Come on." Yeah. So over the years, have you noticed people's photography change? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. But yes, absolutely. Um, I think one of the failures a lot of the keen underwater photographers I know have is they do take pictures too much for each other. Where, you know, a lot of us are motivated by the next competition or getting a picture that's going to impress our mates, our peers. And so we're, we're a little bit inward looking in that we're all just trying to, you know, get one that's slightly better than you got last year and, and that person got this year. But definitely in, in recent years, photographers have wanted to do more with their pictures. Mm. They've, they've realized that, you know, there's not ever been, a, you know, an important conservation um, project out there that isn't underpinned with great images and so photographers have definitely been seeking out to take pictures that can either show the wonders of the underwater world or the problems they're facing and that's become a bigger and bigger um you know thing for photographers to, to think about actually another magazine that arrived this morning um as you can find it quickly yeah this um is bbc wildlife magazine they sent it to me so i've got pictures in it but this is a picture of a turtle taken by my friend saeed rashid for the marine conservation society mm -hmm. taken on on a, on a red sea um dive trip of a turtle eating a plastic bag and that's a picture that you know has gone around the world we awarded this in in underwater photography of the year that's enabled saeed to make contacts with different um conservation ngo organizations who are trying to protect the ocean mm -hmm. and his image now is doing loads and loads of good getting people's attention making people think about those things and now here it is you know in this month's bbc wildlife magazine a big mainstream publication and you know you know and it's just great to see yeah. you know so yeah i think it's the power that those pictures can have and the good that they can do um in terms of getting some message. of that is a little bit you had you know it was being in the right place at the right time yeah I mean, the sad thing is that you don't have to go far in the ocean to see problems um, sadly, particularly visual ones. And I think plastic has been one that's, that's really visual. There are other problems the ocean faces that are probably more important that are much harder to photograph. You know, global warming and the effects of it are very difficult to photograph. You know, maybe you'll get coral bleaching, but it's a very narrow event. You don't tend to see it. You often go back to a place that's got lots of dead coral 
But if someone has never seen it before, it's quite hard to capture the after picture and say, this doesn't look nice, but it used to look amazing. Yeah. And, and it's the same with overfishing. You know, you, if you take a picture of blue, empty ocean, people go, oh, that looks pretty. But it's like, this should be full of big fish and things, but they've been caught out of here. Yeah. And I think it, it can be quite difficult to tell those, those stories. And if we go to doom and gloom as photographers, a lot of the audience will turn off. Um, you know, if you just show pictures of, you know, shark fins hacked off or, or whatever it is, you know, yes, to the right people, those pictures can be really powerful, but to the wrong audience, they can just be disengaged with it. And often the best conservation image can be a beautiful portrait of an amazing shark living free in the ocean. And people are like, wow, that is an incredible animal. You know, that's something I'm really beginning to love. And, you know, as, as is often said in conservation, will, you know, most humans only want to conserve what they love. So there's a really big part to play in, in creating images that will also make people love the oceans. So just a little interval from this episode. Ian and I work hard to bring guests and content across our podcast platforms, social media and our YouTube channel, The Big Scuba. Would you like to become involved? Become a supporter, a sponsor, a Patreon of The Big Scuba. There are several levels of contribution, the smallest being just $2. If you'd like to become a patron of the Big Scuba podcast, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash the Big Scuba podcast. There you will see the levels of support. You can be an octopus, a dolphin, an orca or a mighty blue whale. Just for the $2, you'll receive a shout out on our next episode. We look forward to welcoming you to the Big Scuba podcast community. Right, back to the episode. Have you had any like hair raising scary moments? <laughs> well, I haven't got much hair to be raised. Which is a good thing, I guess, as a, as a diver. But um, actually, probably the, the, the scariest thing I've had happen to me underwater, which I, I've had plenty of run-ins. I've been underwater twice in earthquakes. I've been through a Category 5 hurricane. Oh. I've dived on active volcano. I've been stung by a Portuguese man of war on my birthday and, and all the sort of normal stuff. I've baited tiger sharks with myself being the bait. Um, and, but the, the standout one for me is, um, is an encounter I had with a lone dolphin in the Caribbean, which unfortunately for me is also on YouTube. But fortunately for me, it doesn't have my surname on it. So, um, but yeah, this dolphin fell in love with me and then was very persuasive in how it showed that love. Oh. <laughs> and dolphins are pure, pure muscle. You know, any animal that can jump, you know, 20 feet out of the water under its own steam, you know, you try to do that as a diver. You've got to have a lot of power to do that. Yeah. And dolphins are just pure muscle. And if a dolphin wants something, and sadly what it wants is you, then you're, you're facing it. So yeah, Stinky the Dolphin, if anyone wants to look at the YouTube clip, um, got, a bit, um, got, got a bit infatuated with me on a dive. And I was actually shooting macro on that dive, which is close-up pictures underwater. So I couldn't even get any photos of this massive great dolphin, um, you know, which wouldn't leave me alone. And yeah, it was actually very dangerous because when the dolphin was um, humping me, for want of a better word, it was, you know, swimming through the water and I was being pushed through the water far faster than I could swim. Mm. And because the dolphin was so keen, you know, it could have easily, you know, just come through and pull my rag out, pull my mask off, pushing me down deeper, pushing me very fast to the surface. So although it's actually a very funny video and at the time I didn't feel too threatened, it was very unnerving because there was no way to get out of it really. Yeah. And, you know, from that moment I was, it took me about 10 minutes to get to the surface. Um, and I wasn't panicking, um, but I wasn't super happy about it. And the dolphin was biting as well. And you try and try and push it. And it was just like pushing a brick wall. It just didn't move. Yeah. You pushed it and you went backwards. It was just, yeah, pure muscle. So that was the most scary encounter, but it is quite funny on video. You don't never get caught in a strap or something. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and just, yeah, you know, and um, yeah, it was, it was actually very scary. And then it actually, we got back on the boat and we were going back to port and the dolphin was going down the coastline. And as it went down the coast, you'd just see divers pop up. And we actually went and picked up several groups of shore divers who'd just been freaked out by this dolphin that was really crazy that day. He can't, he was around this area in the Caribbean for about a year. And there's only a few days he seemed to go really crazy. And we was just on that really crazy day.
Yeah, it certainly gives you an appreciation of yeah how wildlife can be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and even yeah, so even the animal that everyone wants to see. And I have to say, the next time after that, I saw a dolphin. I was very unhappy about seeing a dolphin. Everyone else was like, oh my God, dolphin, dolphin. I was like, no, I don't like those guys. <laughs> well, you've obviously, yeah, hit it off in the dolphin world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm back on good terms with them again now. I've had lots of nice experiences since then. Uh, so just going back to land, you've also had a concept car designed for you, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, long, a long time ago now, about 15 mm. years ago. Um, yes, yeah, so Nissan um, actually now and have made for about 10, 12 years now a van called the NV200. It's just a, a small commercial van that they have. It's, it's quite common. If you're not into commercial vehicles, you'll never have heard of it, but it, you, you've seen millions of them. Um, and when that was in sort of its prototype design stage, they wanted to make a special edition concept car. And I presume someone at Nissan thought, who is the least likely person to need a car? Oh, an underwater photographer. And then they found me and decided to use, to try to make a, a version of this van that would suit me as a photographer. And so I had to go to lots of secret meetings at Nissan's HQ. And I took them all my dive gear and all the, all the designers sort of got inspiration from the neoprene and the types of plastic and the design style of scuba gear at the time. Um, and then they thought through what my needs were from a vehicle um, as a, as a, you know, it kind of like as a, as a base for, for shore diving or that sort of thing, um, and designed a version of this van for me and built it. And certainly during the design stage, they were very keen to do lots of promotion. And there was lots of talk about, you know, trying to get Top Gear to do a, you know, a special event, take, take Top Gear diving in the diving van. And I think actually a lot of the, you know, those car shows like Top Gear, they get a lot of their ideas from the car companies writing to them with ideas all the time and going, oh, we've got this great idea that will help promote our new vehicle. But in the end, we didn't get to do any, we didn't get any funding to do any promotion with it. So the vehicle still exists. Um, it's in the Nissan Museum in Tokyo and you can go and see it. But I never got to use it for diving. So they said they'd build me, um, uh, that they would give me the plans and the company that actually built it could build another one for me. But mm -hmm. the, the cost was ridiculous. So, yeah, well, um, yeah. And, yeah, a really fascinating project and going in and seeing the inner workings of how a car design studio works and speaking to the designers and saying, oh, you know, my gear is going to be wet after the dive. So we need, so, you know, they made storage areas for the, the gear, which had drainage channels made out of plastic onto the, you know, so it could drain out. So yeah. you could put wet dive gear in and it would drain through. They made stuff for all the camera equipment and everything in it. So it was a really interesting project. Yeah. I knew at the time it was something I'd never do the like of again. Um, and that made it really, really good fun um, to do. And the fact it still exists now and um, every now and again, they have got it out of the museum a couple of times and done the odd like sort of magazine feature on look at this weird car and everything. Yeah, yeah it was really, really fascinating. There's quite a few divers um, I've seen who are now converting vans and mm. places where they can sleep. They've got all the kit that you can stack the cylinders up. They yeah. Changed in it. Mm. And especially with, you know, prices of hotels and things It kind of, it's a good thing to do really you know convert a van and uh... I, yeah and i, I think yeah, it, it is and i think there's um the thing that the the nissan van had that was really clever it had a, an extendable pod so yeah. that when you were driving the whole back section folded in and then when you were on site the back section folded out and that revealed a dry area and a wet area yeah and i think that was something that people could maybe you know look at a way of copying because i think when you're on location as a diver it can be very difficult, you know, you've got good storage for when you're traveling, but then actually when you're on location, you kind of almost need to create an extra room. And that's what mm. I think the Nissan was very clever for. Yeah. But yeah, I've got lots of friends who've converted vans and they, they love staying in them when we're diving. So um, have you got any like big, any sort of like plans, anything for us to look out for for next year? Um, well, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm like anyone who's sort of involved in diving travel. Um, 2020 has been a really tough and unusual year. Yeah. Um, and hopefully 2021, things will begin to get back to normal. Okay. Yeah, I mean, who, who knows exactly when? So mm -hmm. my plans are very um, determined on, on when we can begin to travel again. Yeah. But most of my trips from 20, I, mean, I, I usually run, like I said, about 10 to 12 workshops a year. Most of the ones from 2020, rather than getting cancelled forever, have been bumped into the future. And I already had a number of plans in place for 2021 and 2022. So when things come back to usual, I think I'm going to be 
running a lot of underwater photography workshops to catch up with the demand. And I have to say, I'll be very happy to see all my friends who come on those trips and particularly get back into that vibe of, of sharing because mm -hmm. under, you know, our hobby, one of the great things about it and the diving uh, life calendar really brings that home. You know, a big part of it is the social. Mm. You know, yes, we love the diving side, but when you're not diving, being around with your friends, talking with your friends, sharing your enthusiasm for the sport, and in our case, the photography, is a really big part of it. Mm. And in a workshop environment, when that can be a really positive thing for your photography as well, in terms of sharing ideas, sharing techniques, that's something I'm really looking forward to getting back into. So, yeah, exactly when, I don't know, but, but when it does, my calendar is already full. Yeah, and that's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next part of our podcast, we always ask our guests a set number of questions. So everybody sure. always gets the same number of questions and the same questions. So it's always uh, quite interesting to see what the answers are. So the first question is, have you got a dive location that's still on your bucket list that you haven't done and why? Goodness, yes, lots. Um, I've, there's a lot of diving in the Pacific I've not done. There's a lot of temperate diving. I've never been to South Africa or New Zealand, and I would love to dive both of those, particularly around the Cape in South Africa. I, I love the temperate diving. I love seeing the differences and similarities between the places. I love to dive both North and South Island of New Zealand as well. I think that would be a fascinating area to dive. And I've never dived in the poles. I've only snorkeled in the pole, polar areas. So I've got a big bucket list to do. Yeah, but actually for me, one of my favorite things in diving is revisiting destinations, particularly as a photographer. You often take far better pictures the second or third time you go back to a place. And as someone who, who runs, runs workshops, um, you know, the best place for me to run a workshop is somewhere I've been before that I know everything. So I, I take a real pleasure in returning to, to destinations. And so that's a big part of diving for me. So my bucket list is full of the places I haven't been, but also the places I have been wanting to yeah. go back there again. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because we've just released a podcast today. Um, it's with Cape Rad, and they're based in Cape Town on full space. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd love to go to to, to Cape yeah. Town. I struggle in normal times because my sort of booked up dive schedule uses all my my leave from home in terms of what's acceptable to my family. So <laughs> yeah. I don't get to go to many places unless I can uh, justify it by. Oh, there's this workshop I've got to run, um, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, I understand that. Um, so what is your favourite marine animal and why? Um, well, as I was explaining in, in, the, in, the, in the earlier part of the interview, I think to be a good photographer, you've got to be properly enthusiastic about what you're shooting. So I try to make my favourite subject whatever's in front of my camera at that time. Um, because I think if you're photographing sea slugs and dreaming of great white sharks, you're not going to take good pictures of sea slugs. Um, mm. So I, that's a big thing for me. And I do love, you know, the diversity of life in the, in the ocean is perhaps the biggest draw for me. The species that I come back to again and again to love, I do love seeing seahorses every time I, I, I see them around the world. I think they're fantastic things. And particularly the sort of really exotic versions like the, the sea dragons of, of South Australia. Not so many underwater photographers have had the chance to shoot sea dragons. And they're definitely a favourite subject of mine. Yeah. Is there anything particularly you would love to take a photo of, which you've never, that's always escaped you? Um, I, I've really actually, I've, um, my, my, my daughter's at the age now, she's, you know, mad into dinosaurs. And the subjects that I'd love to photograph are some of the old marine reptiles like ichthyosaurs, yeah. plesiosaurs, um, pliosaurs. Um, pretty scary, some of them. They're pretty well-armed. But I think those would be amazing to photograph, just seeing those big animals. <laughs> and also ammonites. You know, the, the big, you know, the big shells you see down on, you know, on the yeah. Jurassic coast, you see the fossils of. I'd just love to see one of those alive because obviously we don't know that well exactly what the soft tissue part of those look like. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd I think if I could travel back in time oh. and photograph sort of the, um, the Mesozoic reptiles and, and invertebrate life of the oceans, that would be the dream assignment. Yeah, yeah that's great. Like that. So if you could take three people diving or snorkeling or put them in the submarine, they could be past, present, what three people would you take? Um, well, the first one is, is um, I can hear her talking upstairs, is my, my on, a, on a work call, is my wife, who is a diver, loves diving, loves underwater photography, and we get to dive together a criminally small amount because the majority of my diving is, 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 is on running workshop trips and the finances of underwater photography means that if I had to pay for her to come as well, 
we wouldn't the trip would cost me money to run so we get that and she's got a job as well um working full-time so it's not that she's free to travel but i really miss going diving with her so i'd wish i had more chances to dive with her i know things will line up in the future and we'll dive a lot more together again but it's amazing that you know i get to do 350 dives a year and she probably averages 10 a year and Mm -hmm. that's that always feels very unfair to me um, and yeah, I also miss diving with her because it's the most fun I have underwater is diving with her. Yeah. I always have to wait for her to finish taking photos though. Just <laughs> <laughs> about it than I am. <laughs> um, right, number two. Um, and actually, I'm going to cheat on the second one and go for my, my dog. Um, and the reason I say this is my dog loves going underwater. I've got a wire hair sausage dog, a dachshund. Oh. And um, her favorite thing is if I throw stones in the river and she dives underwater and gets the stones from the seabed uh, or the riverbed and comes out. Or, and she's, I spent my whole life waiting for my dog to come out of the water. So I think I'd love to take my dog diving um, just because I, I, I do occasionally in the summer snorkel with her and I photographed her diving underwater in the river. I've never seen a dog before. <laughs> This is yeah. well, I, I realize it's not a person, but she's, she, she is definitely an important character in my life. The third one, I think I'll get more serious with an answer, is I, I take the Prime Minister diving. Um, our Prime Minister at the moment is, 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 is Mr. Johnson, but um, it's not so much because I'm any, any great fan of, of any particular party, but actually I think what the diving world you know, would benefit from, and the underwater world would benefit from, is someone in a position of power really being as enthusiastic and as knowledgeable about it as we all are, yeah. and have actually seen it firsthand. You know, it would just change completely their views on all the policy decisions if they actually had seen some of it for themselves. So I think that would be a really, really valuable thing to have, um, you know, as a, as a diving thing. Yeah. I've just thought of another one, actually. Well, I tell you, maybe not take diving, but it would be really great if we had like 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 a, a big like radio dj or someone who was really properly into diving we really need someone in diving we have you know some really really fantastic and experienced sort of well-known celebrities who, who who are diving presenters and things but we don't have someone who's kind of a celebrity first but also a, a diver um and it would be great you know if if you know Radio One Breakfast, you know, whether it's Greg James or Chris Evans or whoever, was, you know, regularly sort of talking about scuba diving every now and again on, on the radio. I thought you were so, going to say somebody else then. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, yeah, I'm not oh, so Trump. good. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you might yeah, also, if you take people diving, you can turn the air off. So. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Uh, no. Trump. Oh, yeah, that's why I thought, I thought you might have said that. That's why I was saying. Yeah. I think he could do with seeing some uh, underwater, but then... yeah, I think he could definitely do with seeing some nature. But hopefully, he's on his way out now. Yeah. Um, okay. And also, uh, what is your favourite piece of dive kit that you can't do without? Um, well, the obvious answer as an underwater photographer to that is is camera equipment. And I have to say, if if I haven't got my camera, I'm not really very interested in going diving. I you know I love love my time underwater but I only really love it with a camera. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I've um, not had this situation, fortunately, but I've, I've said many times on trips, if my camera stopped working for some reason and I didn't have anything else to borrow, I'd just come home or I'd, I wouldn't probably dive that much. Um, mm-hmm. I, and which is strange because if you see me, I'm the keenest diver there is. I'm always like first ready and in the water for the longest I can possibly be. And I, I love swimming around. I'm not one of the photographers who stays still. Um, in terms of dive equipment, I, I do really love, a lot of my dive equipment. I, um, as an underwater photographer who travels a lot, weight is really important. So I've chosen a lot of dive equipment to be lightweight for travel. And, you know, I've got very nice lightweight regs, which, which I love at the moment. They're Aquilon Micron ones. But the piece of equipment I've been in love with this year has been my dry suit. And I, I got a new dry suit a couple of years ago. It's, it's, a, um, it's an Aqualung, um Fusion one. It's made by Whites in Canada and they make this two layer dry suit. It's a bit weird if you're used to diving in another dry suit, it does take a few dives to get used to it. It's different to put on, but it's just like diving in no suits at all, wow. um, the way it is to dive. And because mine is relatively new, I've only had it a couple of years now. It's my third dry suit, but this one is relatively new. Um, and it's still like completely super comfortable, never leaks, it never has leaked. And I've enjoyed diving in it so much more than the dry suit that it replaced, which was actually a, an earlier version of the same dry suit. But they've improved the design quite a lot in the last few years. And I've just got so much pleasure from being dry and warm and comfortable and mobile underwater. I've loved my dry suit diving this summer. Yeah, or this, it's horrible this. When, you, when, you dry suit, when you get 
waterlogged in your dry suit. Yeah, um, and you, you put up for it for too long because they're expensive. And you end up, oh, I can patch it up. And then you dive and you've just, I had a wet leg for about, you know, about six or seven years. It was never that bad. And actually now I've just really loved having a proper good dry suit again. Out of interest, what dive computer do you dive with? Um, I have had a, um, I've had a Scuba Pro, um, the the Galileo Sol one, which is quite, I've, I've done, I think, two and a half thousand dives on it it's i've had it a long time and i mount it as a photographer i mount it on my camera because it's much more in my eye line there than it would be on my wrist which is generally facing away from me and i never dive without my camera and i don't my, i hold my camera in my hand so it's always at my level so yeah. it doesn't it gives an accurate reading um and that's my main computer i've got a number of computers i've used as backups um i particularly like the sunto watch computers as backups and um, you know, since, since I've used a lot of my pictures in advertising down the years as well, um, but I, I love their computers as backups. Um, and also as a photographer trying to save weight when traveling, wearing a dive computer on your wrist means it doesn't go in your luggage allowance. So yeah. every little counts when you're a photographer. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, they're great answers. Do you have a favorite post-dive meal? Um, I would say that's got to be location dependent. Mm. So I, I really enjoy some of the food we have. I, I dive a lot in Asia and in Indonesia, the Philippines, um, and across that region a lot. And I guess some of the food you have there, just because it means you're there. Yeah. So whether it's nasi goreng in Indonesia, not that it's, it's a particular favourite of mine, but it means you're there and you're doing that amazing diving. Yeah. So have you got a chili level? Some of our divers laid like really hot chili. Um, when I was younger massively so and then ever since i was been in a relationship with my my my, my wife um and she's not a big fan of hot food my chili tolerance has gone yeah <laughs> i used to be yeah used to be uh, mr eat anything super spicy and now actually i find myself even if we go out and like have you know go out for a curry when we used to be able to go out and i'd order something really mild now just because it's like i'm not used to it yeah, more of a korma than a madras yeah i've got to train myself up again i, I, I can't even admit to it yeah yeah. <laughs> that's fair enough well, yeah. so the, one of the last questions then is if you could have a billboard um, and you could put anything on it to say something to the millions and billions of people out there and that can be a statement it can be a photo it can be an image it can be a question or anything you like what would you put on the billboard mm. well I guess as a photographer I should avoid the temptation of wanting to put my own photo up um, my pictures have been on billboards quite a few times and it is amazing to see them. I think it's more amazing when someone else chooses to put them up there than when you put one up there yourself. It be kind of a bit, it doesn't have the same, you know, it's, um, cachet or um, satisfaction when you've done it. So avoid one of my own photos. I think the message that is most important about the ocean and our relationship with it is even if you're not a diver, the ocean is incredibly important to, to all life on land. You know, um, no one in the UK lives more than 70 miles from the sea. Half the world's population live within, I think it's 60 kilometers of the sea. And the sea interacts with our lives in so many ways. It deals with our waste. It provides us with food. It provides us with half the air that we breathe. Even if you've never been a scuba diver, it's a place for recreation, a place for enjoyment, a place for replenishing your, your mental health and all those things. Um, and those messages are best summed up, I think, in a simple slogan by Sylvia Earle's well-known quote, which is no blue, no green. Yeah. And I think that is the message that is most important to share, is that our planet is 70% water, with 70% ocean, or 72% ocean. And to imagine that that is not important for how the earth, the earth functions as a system, just the fact that we're terrestrial animals, ignoring the fact that the, the, this is a, an ocean planet um, is something we should never do. And understanding that a healthy ocean is not just important for the fish that live in the sea, it's actually important for us as well, mm. is, is the most important thing. And I think that message brings that across. And I think it, it's really important as, as a human race these days that we have to understand that we can't we will not survive long term we will not prosper long term if we constantly take from the environment and don't help it flourish at the same time and all the things that we want the ocean to do for us provide us with food deal with our waste you know um provide us with oxygen to breathe it does those much better when it's healthy 
it's simple maths um you know it's simple you know equations and so actually it's in all our interest to have a healthy ocean and i think that would be the message i'd want to get out there yeah it's one of the best yeah definitely so have you got any questions for us um yes um um i've got quite i've got some things i'm I'm interested to ask first of all i really like to say um thank you so much for doing the podcast because i think actually you know i got into scuba diving by you know seeing diving magazines or seeing documentaries on the tv these days you know um online media whether it's you know youtube videos or or podcasts they are a really important introduction for people into this sport and i think provide and and, and it's in all our interests and, and the diving world and the underwater world at large to grow our sport so i think doing the podcast is really valuable for that yeah. and i also think you know the combination of, of the two of you with you know Gemma you being a newer diver and Ian being a more you know experienced thing is a really good combination um so really yeah I think that brings a really fresh interpretation and actually you know it, it's really important you ask you know the questions that people want to know I spend too much of my time talking to other underwater photographers online and not talking to more normal divers which is you know is a real you know is, is, is a mistake because you 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 forget those things so um I'd like to talk about underwater photography a little bit and particularly ask Gemma as a newer diver. Um, if you, you know, have you got any interest in getting into underwater photography? And if so, what subjects would you really like to be shooting? You know, you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously I can appreciate you need your skills before you even handle a torch or <laughs> a camera <laughs> or even put a GoPro on. I'm not even, I haven't done that yet. So, but yeah, I'd really like to experiment obviously with have, have a camera and actually see what I'm capable of doing and mm. learn because it's another skill, you know, it's all about the learning. So yeah, you can learn something else while you're doing something that you enjoy as well would be great. Do you like, you like seeing the animals like the St. Abs. You yeah, enjoy yeah, seeing that. Yeah. Cathedral yeah. Rock, that was a really, really yeah. nice dive. Obviously, it? I've only done UK diving, so I've only been in inland waters, mm. clocked up 18 dives. So that's, yeah, but St. <laughs> Abs was just amazing because obviously mm. real ocean diving, seeing fish. And yeah, just the underwater life was just, yeah. It's, it's an amazing area that I think you guys were up there just a, a week or so after I was up there. So I think we had pretty much the same, same conditions um, at the end of, end of summer it was we were up there. So yeah, it was, um, and it was, yeah, it was really, it's an amazing area. I think I'd encourage any British diver to go up there. Yeah. Um, Even for non-divers, I, I think um, the Farne Islands and Abs all along that coast, mm. uh, it's a great place to go as a, as a family. Because non-divers, you know, you do get a lot of divers, their partners don't dive. You know, there's loads of things to do up there for, mm. for non-divers as well. The landscape is yeah, amazing. amazing places just to go to walk mm. and see the uh, place like uh, the, what's that island? Um, um, Holy, Holy Island. Island. You, know, you know, that's uh, beautiful just to walk about on you can go diving in the morning and then go walk about see the puffins and things like that you know, there's loads of stuff to, to see up there yeah uh, and obviously it's the appreciation of uk diving and you know i've yet to see this amazing clear blue sea that everybody talks about cool. so it's just but you know i'm quite happy with you know hearing such amazing things about the uk and it's diving then i'm more than happy to yeah explore. the attraction for me has always been that you know it's fantastic traveling internationally to see different countries, different cultures, but the underwater world is, is, is as diverse. And you see that dry, you know, traveling around the UK, you know, it's a very different experience diving in our lakes here in, in, you know, in the center of England, as it is to diving off the Scottish coast, east or west, or diving off Devon or Cornwall, or yeah. wherever you choose to go diving. But that diversity continues as you travel. And I think that's something that just makes it endlessly fascinating is that there's always something different and interesting to see wherever you go. And, you know, even if you find yourself traveling somewhere out, you know, which is kind of not a diving trip, but you're near the ocean or even near lakes, you know, there's amazing dive, really interesting diving to be done. You know, I've dived in Seattle um, in, in, you know, in some of the coastal stuff there and, and had fantastic diving, diving there, you know, and I was, you know, you know, and I've you know, been diving, in, in lagoons off the, you know, which are just a couple of meters deep down in the south of France, tidal coastal lagoons. And, you know, you, you'd think, oh, you know, 
if there's water, people are trying diving in it. And one of the fun things about traveling is you can, you can see some of these unusual places. Yeah. And there are amazing diving experiences. I did a dive in Scotland just a couple of weeks ago in a lock that's only about two or three meters deep. But it was the most amazing. And the lock's known for having this ancient and very important merl bed. Merl's a slow-going pink calcareous algae. And, you know, we just drove up there. I'd found out what the right time of, of tide was to dive it, to dive, get, get it the slack water. We just parked in this little lay-by by the side of this lock, almost, you know, no other humans around, you know, no sign of any diving. And just going in and diving this very shallow water, but this completely alien environment. The seabed was all pink and then coated in brittle stars yeah. and, you know, literally, you know, two and a half meters deep and just fascinating. You know, there's so much to see in the underwater world. And that is not a dive site that's on many people's, you know, wish list. But I just thought it was the most fascinating place I'd seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And that enthusiasm, because we want to appeal to non-divers as well and maybe inspire them to try diving. And, yeah. you know, if they can hear this and the passion, you know, from you as a photographer and, you know, all the other people that have had about just about simply diving, it's great. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ian, you do, oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, for people who, um, who may not have uh, know much about you uh, they're now hearing about you for the first time um, and want to find out more information about you keep up to date with your news and what you're doing mm. competitions how are they best to keep up to date with you and you know uh, link up so I'm probably best known for writing my book underwater photography masterclass which is kind of is a very popular book on the subject of underwater photography. So I'd encourage people if they're interested in underwater photography to have a look at that. Um, quite a few people have got copies, so you might be able to find one to borrow rather than have to buy one. Um, alternative, but you can keep up with me. I have a website, which is amustard.com. And I'm most active on social media on Instagram at alexmustard1. Mm -hmm. um, and um, also on Facebook, I, I, I post quite a bit and on, on Twitter as well, where I'm Alex underscore mustard. But I would say Instagram is a great place to follow me. I'm a photographer. Follow me on Instagram where I share pictures. Yeah, no, that's great. Because we'll always put the links into the podcast uh, show notes as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Have you got anybody that you'd like to see on the podcast in the future? Well, I didn't think about that. Um, I know it's a bit of a recurring theme when we all get together. But I, I do think the area that, that diving is failing is, is attracting the younger generation in. And I think one of the difficulties is that they don't have the young generation role models in, in diving because, you know, diving, you know, costs a bit. I, I was mega keen on diving when I was a teenager, but had very little chance to do it and also wasn't very good because I hadn't built up the experience by then as a photographer. But I, I, I think it would be really great to seek out around the country and or around the world interesting divers who are sort of sub 25 um, to, to get on the, on the pod. And I'm not saying, you know, got, got names. Um, but, you know, you know, um, you know, young men, young women of, of that age, I think will make really interesting guests and also have the benefit of being really great role models that young people getting into diving can understand and talk about the issues of the fact that things are expensive and how to yeah. maybe get more diving in without it costing an arm and a leg, how to borrow equipment or find equipment without spending lots of money to get going. Because I think that's, you know, I do, you know, do meet lots of young people who are keen on photography. Plenty of them write to me about it, but the financial side is quite a big barrier to everyone. Yeah. Um, but at least, you know, if they can get advice from their people in their age range who are making it work. So a really good um, organization that's done a lot to help that is, um, I don't know if, if um, you've come across this because it's not been operating this year, but um, Rolex sponsor a scholarship called the Our World Underwater Scholarship Society and they have a European scholar every year when the world is normal yeah. and I would say some of those past scholars would be very good people to have along. Um, Jim Standing can give you all their contact details very very quickly. He's the um, European coordinator now for, the, for it and I think those are some really interesting people all who've come from different backgrounds and that scholarship is a fantastic carrot to dangle in front of any keen young um scuba diver yes yeah. yeah yeah i think we've got um grace westcarth she's one of the girls at scuba but she's only was she 20 she's mm. 20 yeah, and yeah like she's that, quite yeah. keen to enter yeah to the scholarship mm. so yeah because it just opens up the world for you doesn't it afterwards yeah yeah, yeah and I, I think yeah i think that's you know it, it, it's, it's the nature of of a sport like this but obviously 
the people that get wheeled out to speak at shows, that people that typically get interviewed in, in magazines or in, in, in more modern media, um, you know, they tend to be people who've been around a bit and done a few things. Yeah. Um, but it's a pity that we don't hear more younger voices because there are plenty of really keen young people in diving, but they tend to not maybe make it through into the media space. Yeah. So yeah, that's who I'd vote for. Yeah, we need that to keep, to keep the sport alive and keep it mm. progressing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely, which helps business, which is... Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and the young people are always packed full of ideas that we can all learn from. Yeah, 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 and they're constantly coming up with ideas as well, so mm. it just keeps it nice and fresh. Yeah, I, I do try and come up with some ideas. <laughs> 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 I'm just stuck at 26. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Jim's stuck at 40, 45. <laughs> thin ice, thin ice. Almost <laughs> nothing. <laughs> she knows, Jackie. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been really good to chat to you. Yeah, yeah, it's yes. been nice. yeah I know, I know. It's been, it's been really nice as well for me not just to talk to other underwater photographers <laughs> down my camera and actually talk to, to real people. Okay, well, thank you very much and we'll uh, speak to you again soon. Yeah, lovely. Yes, nice to speak to you both. Bye, and Bye, Gemma. Okay, thank you. bye, bye, Alex. Bye. Hello everyone, we're back. So, Jem, did you enjoy that? Yeah, I did. And it was great that, you know, he inspires people, no matter what their level, to think about taking pictures underwater. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed that. So, thank you very much, Alex, for coming on and uh, sparing us some of your time. Um, I know Alex is uh, mega busy um, with courses and work and everything else. So, and uh, that's really good. And his book, yeah, the Thistlebourne book. So look out for that. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll be adding some links to that and um, talking about that, you know, where yeah. you can get that. So that'd be really good. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much, Alex, for coming on and, uh, you know, sparing us some time. That was, that was brilliant. Thank you very much. And uh, we, as like all of our guests, you know, we always invite them to come back when they've got some more news and, uh so we can share about that as well. So when they've got, you know, some news happening and they're diving or bringing a new book out. Yeah, so that'd be really good. We've had a bit of a run of books lately, haven't we? We have, yeah. We had Wild and Temperate Seas. We've had Diving with Thistlebourn. So yeah. good. Yeah. yeah and I do like books with good pictures. <laughs> yeah, they're good to flick through. I know. Yeah, but they're all from the same publicist, dived up publication. Yeah. They are, so uh, that's really good. And a uh, little shout out to them as well. So uh, that's good. Uh, don't go anywhere, guys, because a little heads up of who's coming on the podcast next. Now, a bit of an explosive one, really. It you? is. It was a bit explosive. And these people, these, this, these next guests, in fact, a lovely couple coming on to talk to us, and they're called Beth and Elliot from the Backpack Divers. Yeah, they are. Yeah, so they're just a young couple and yeah, really enthusiastic about their diving. She works for a bank. Uh, Elliot, he used to work, well, he still is a mine clearer. Yeah, for the Royal Navy. For the Royal Navy on the northern sector, I I believe. They are, yeah. So, but they've got plans to go off around the world, um, maybe on a sailboat and yeah exciting plans get some more diving done and work on conservation and yeah just a bit of research as well uh, so that's episode 49 is the backpack divers uh slightly linked to this and not just the to the speedos and the speedos will come clear during they appear that they appear they appear in, in episode 50 we are talking and i'm really i was really excited about this um and it was really fun to have them on. And these are the guys from the Royal Navy Bomb Disposal and Mine Clearance, uh, based in Portsmouth. And these are the South Section. Uh, great couple of guys, and um, made an absolute fun podcast. Yeah. And uh, that'll be coming on, and that's our explosive episode number fifty. Yeah, our half a century number fifty. Boom. Yeah, I can't believe it. But yeah, it's you know it's a look out for that one you know it's a good it's a really good one and, and um they you know they talk about all the things that they do 
as part of the bond clearance and mind clearance yeah training so, yeah and it's a you know channel if you're interested in diving or getting in the navy that's an area you can specialize in yeah yeah so uh, look out for anyway that's a, that's it for tonight that's us done yeah. so i hope you enjoyed that that episode so it's been a busy few weeks again you know and uh, with who we had on we've had on uh will Appleyard, we've had peter miller and now we've had alex mustard and next you've got the backpack divers episode 49 and then we, we've got episode 50 coming out with the royal navy center attention mind clearance busy time certainly has been so uh we hope you enjoy don't forget little reminders don't forget if you're on the youtube we need subscribers all the time um so do let's get us up to 600 that'd be really great if we can get up to 600 that'd be nice uh, don't forget to send us a message if you go and dive in if you're in the if you're in the americas if you're uh, somewhere else where it's really nice and you've got a dive coming up give us a little shout out and um, sends that little message and we'll mention you on the show how's that yeah so get the shout out yeah how about that so that'd be really good anyway that's enough for me yep so we'll see everybody on episode 49 certainly will see you soon see you on the next one bye everyone